So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, they're going to be our springboard verses that we're going to be working out of this morning. Uh, but we will be hearing from several different places of Scripture. A couple of weeks ago, we entered into a series on our church values here at Oregon Hill Grace Chapel, reflecting on the guiding principles of greatest importance to us as a church community. And we talked about the fact that what we value most is what drives what we actually do. It drives our activity. So over the last two weeks, we considered that one of our utmost values as a church must be that we are what? What did we go over the last two weeks? That we must be Christ-centered. Oh, good. Yes. Uh, so, oh, man. Sometimes, I'm so good some people remember, uh, glad that some people remember that. That we must be Christ-centered. That who we are and what we do is, is driven both by the fact that Jesus is our Savior and that Jesus is our Lord, and that they, those two things really go hand in hand. Uh, for Jesus to be my Savior means that I recognize that I have a need to be rescued from the consequences of my sin, right? We went through that a couple weeks ago, and that, that by faith, I trust that Jesus has been the supply of that rescue from God, and that uh, to, for, for him to be my Lord means that I act upon, we just covered this last, last week, I act upon his command to come, follow me. Going where he leads, obeying his teaching, modeling his character and activity. And in this, Jesus becomes the one that I surrender my entire life to, that I trust him as Savior and Lord. So as a community, that has to be our utmost value that Christ is the cornerstone. Scripture talks about him as the cornerstone, the foundation stone of the church, that he is Savior and Lord. So next as a church, what we're going to look at this morning is that we have to have one as one of our primary values that we are a scripturally-based church, a scripturally or we could say biblically-based community. And when we say that we're scripturally or biblically-based, Based is, is defined by being uh, as a main supporting element, a source of supply, or a center from which activities start and are coordinated. So we have a, we have a statement of faith as a church. Um, if anybody wants to see that, if you hadn't seen that, uh, I'd encourage you to read through that. And the first article of our statement of faith says simply this, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that it is the only infallible guide for faith and practice. That's the first article of our statement of faith. So let's read these two verses. It's going to be uh, a springboard for us this morning. We'll pray that God blesses this word. Paul is writing to Timothy. And in this chapter 3, verse 16, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 
so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need the word of God. We need the word of God. You need to be, you need to be in the word of God. You need to be sharing. If you're a parent, you need to be trying to instill in your children a love for the word of God. I remember as a, as a kid, my parents got me, and I know it wasn't the word for word, but as a little kid, they got me the picture Bible, which was like a cartoon. I fell in love with Jesus in that, in that book. I really did. I couldn't, I used to sleep with it like a teddy bear, you know? And I just, I, I mean, that, I mean, that just helped me fall in love with Jesus. Be fostering a love of God's word. Um, there's <laughs> many of you here are hunters, right? And and we know that archery season is right around the corner. Some people are counting down the days. I know this because I've heard that a few times. How many more days? How many? Uh, I think Micah Metzler counting down the days for archery season. And uh, this this year, I'm going to be trying to hunt out of a ground blind. See, if I use this illustration in New Jersey, it just wouldn't go very far, you know. But here, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ground. I'm going to be hunting out of a ground blind rather than a tree stand. And so what did I do? I, I've never hunted out of a ground blind before. So um, even though I've been hunting for a, good, a handful of years now, I still sought out the counsel of people that know this stuff better than I do. So I looked up, I, I read some articles, and I, I looked up some YouTube videos, right? So... You know, I learned about brushing my ground blind in and, and how, I wouldn't have thought of it. Don't wear camo, they say, in a ground blind. Wear, anybody know? Black. Yeah, wear black so, you, so you, you blend into the shadows. Camo would actually stand out more in a ground blind. And they talk about light. Be careful of your backlight and all this stuff. And, but it's like stuff that I wouldn't have hardly thought about if I hadn't sought out people that knew better than I did. Well, and it's kind of like, why would I neglect that resource? It, it's easily accessible. Why would I neglect it? Yet we often neglect the most amazing resource that we have to understand God and to understand how to navigate this life. Uh, the Bible is a marvel. Even... even even maybe I can say an honest skeptic should be able to admit at some level that the Bible is a marvel. The Bible is an absolute marvel. We, there's nothing like it. Nothing. Of all the other religious writings in the world, there's nothing like it. Uh, it's, it's a collection of 66 books. It was written on three continents, written in three languages, right? Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. It was written over a span of over 2,000 years, and, it, and it's written by approximately 40 authors. Of those authors, I, I, there was a, a writer named Tim Chaffee that I read this week. He, said, he writes, shepherds, kings, scholars, fishermen, prophets, a, a military general, a cupbearer, and a priest all pen portions of scripture. They had different immediate purposes for writing, whether recording history, giving spiritual and moral instruction, or pronouncing judgment. 
They compose their words from palaces, prisons, the wilderness, and places of exile while writing history, laws, poetry, prophecy, and proverbs. In the process, they laid bare their personal emotions, expressing anger, frustration, joy, and love. Yet despite this marvelous array of topics and goals, the Bible displays a flawless internal consistency. It never contradicts itself or its common theme. From Genesis to Revelation, we see, we see man's rebe repeated rebellion against his holy creator. Nevertheless, God promised to extend his love, grace, and mercy to unworthy people. Despite writing in radically different times and contexts, the Bible's many authors all told the same message about God's eternal plan from creation and the flood to Christ's work on the cross and the consummation of God's plan. You can find the same truth stated by Moses in the Old Testament prophets, Christ himself, and Christ's apostles. There is nothing like the Bible. And that's not even to mention the hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies that are fulfilled in the scripture. And that's not even to mention the millions who have been transformed by the truth of it. Now, as amazing as scripture is, I want to take a minute to talk about what scripture is not. Scripture is not God. It's not the Father. It's not the Son. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the triune God. Um, scripture has divine origin, but it is not itself divine. Therefore, the Scriptures themselves must not be treated as the object of salvation or the object of worship. Uh, Romans 1, it's interesting to make this parallel, I think. Romans 1 speaks about how people are prone to worship the created thing over the creator. And uh, it actually says in verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than their creator who is forever praised. Amen. So creation is one of the things that God uses to speak of himself and point us to himself, but it's very clear that we are not meant to worship creation. Amen? That makes sense, right? So it's, it's what speaks of and points to the one who is to be worshipped. And we can say that the same is true for God's word. It speaks of God. It points to God, but should not be worshipped as if it were God himself. Um, it's interesting, the history of Israel. In the history of Israel, there's a couple of examples. Anybody think of a couple? And maybe you'll think of others that I didn't think of. There's a couple of examples of things that God used that maybe at some level, even at the time, could be called sacred, and, but that became, that became idols within God's people. Anybody, anybody think of any illustrations with that? What's that? They worship snakes? Yeah. So, so there's, 
one of the things, what, what Sean is referring to, there's a story, I believe it's in Numbers, uh, recorded in Numbers, where God instructs Moses to fashion a bronze snake and put it on a pole because, because of their lack of faith, he had sent venomous snakes in amongst the people. They were biting the people. The people were getting sick and dying. They're, then they cry out to the Lord. The Lord says, I'll save you. And he saves them in this really what seems to be a peculiar way. Um, but again, there's reflections of Christ in it, and the New Testament talks about that. So Moses fashioned this bronze snake and put it up on a pole, and, and when they turned to it, and looked upon it, they were healed. But then what's interesting, it says later in 2 Kings, Kings 18, um, and this is uh, 2 Kings 18.4, talking about Hezekiah. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces, what? The bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Yeah, so they were worshiping it. They were treating it as if it were a god. Uh, anything else? Is there any, are there any other examples of that? Yeah. Yeah, same, same deal. So this is found in Judges 8.27. Gideon has this wonderful victory that God has uh, shown his strength in. And then it says in chapter, uh, this is in Judges chapter 8, verse 27, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Oprah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Sacred things worshiped as idols. I think there's, I think there's some warning here, and I'm not saying that all of Scripture is on the same level as these objects that God used at the time. But I think there's some caution here that we not take sacred things and make them gods. Um, the Bible points us to God. The Bible points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ, but it's him and him alone that is worthy of our worship. Amen? It is he who saves us. So, and not only, um, so, and, and just as a sub-point here, not only is scripture not to be worshipped, but it should be noted that knowing the scripture well, knowing the scripture well, does not necessarily mean that a person knows God well or at all. All right, so that's another thing to, so you kind of say, what is scripture, what isn't scripture? Well, it's not God himself. Um, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be seen as the object of salvation or the object of worship. And it also shouldn't be understood that if someone really knows the scripture well, that must mean they know God well. And that must mean that um, they know him maybe even at all. This, this, we see this most clearly, I think you'd say scripturally, through some of the religious people of Jesus' day. Uh, Jesus says, this is in John chapter 5, verse 39. He's speaking to this group of very religious people. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. 
Um, so again, notice that these were these these fellows were experts, experts in the scriptures, knew them forward and backward, right? Experts, but. The mistake that Jesus points out is he, they, he says that they thought by them they will find salvation. But he says, no, that's not right. He says, they're, they're referring to what? Me. They're referring, Jesus is saying they're referring to Jesus and they are pointing to Jesus. So you can know the scriptures and miss God. You can know the scriptures forward and backwards and miss Jesus. You can know the scriptures and not be led by the Holy Spirit of God. And in fact, when, when you're in that place, that's a terribly dangerous place. Jesus talked about some of these guys and, and talked about them and really, you know, again, loving them with hard, hard correction, but saying, listen, you're, you load people and you burden people. They were injuring people with the scriptures. They were putting heaven, heavy burdens on people with the scriptures, but yet they didn't lift a finger, the Lord would say, to do anything themselves. The same stuff happens today. Same stuff happens. That, that people who know the scriptures really well, but maybe don't know God well or at all, use them to injure people. Use them to put heavy burdens on people. Forgetting that they actually point to God himself. Um, the reality is, is that someone will only understand and be transformed by the, by the scriptures through the spirit of God. That's it. Uh, Denise, could you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? 1 Corinthians 2. This is 13 and 14. This is what is true. Not mere Protestant education, but immersion in the Holy Spirit. For if the spiritual truth is displayed in the word, the man without the spirit does not accept the special things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Mm -hmm pretty plain, right? Without the Spirit of God, you're not going to discern them. And you may very well make a mess of them and hurt other people with that as well. Um, so that's taken just a couple minutes and thinking about what the, what the Scripture is not. So what is the Scripture? Again, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, let's think about Paul's assertion here. First off, Paul tells us the source of Scripture, the source of the Bible. And he says it's all, and there's this interesting word here, God-breathed. It's from the breath of God, which again, that word breath in the, in, in the Greek is the same word as what? Spirit. It's the same word as spirit or wind. So it's all, it's all God-breathed. It's of God's very breath. It is all of the breath or of the Spirit of God. That's its source. John Stott says, Scripture originated in God's mind and was communicated from God's mouth by God's breath or Spirit. It is therefore rightly termed the Word of God for God spoke it. So again, it's a marvel because we already read that, that longer quote about all the authors and all the different places and all the different situations and all the different statuses and all the different mindsets and all the different personalities. 
but yet it all comes together as one story. The story of God's salvation and how that salvation should impact people and how that salvation brings together a people, a community called by his name. Um, God is wise. <laughs> we, we just went through the attributes of, of God, right? God is all wisdom. And in God's wisdom, he knew that there needed to be a way to speak across the ages. There needed to be a way to speak across the cultures in a manner that is timely, consistent, and trustworthy. And that's what God, God's word is. How many of you have, have read these words that were written thousands of years ago? And you say, oh, <laughs> that is God speaking into my life right now, right here. Words written by men, but perfectly inspired by God. Uh, writer David Dockery writes, by inspiration... We mean that God's spirit exerted a superintending influence on the writers of scripture so that God's revelation has been recorded as he intended. Thus, the writing of the prophets and apostles carry the same authority and effect as if God himself were speaking. Uh, Sean, could you read 1 Thessalonians 2.13? Oh, Okay, Doug, and then Sean. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God, which we heard from us, we welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in us. Great. Thank you. Sean. And Jody, could you read Hebrews 4.12, please? The word of God is clear and unchangeable, ever running over and full of sharper and clearer than any two-edged sword, which divides joint and marrow, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning of the thoughts and intentions. Right. Those are some pretty well-known verses, especially that Hebrews 4.12. So if the Bible is not God itself, how, how come the writer of Hebrews describes it as living and active. Any thoughts there? How is it living and active? How have you experienced it as living and active? Any other thoughts?
good. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you think about that terminology. That's that's a terminology, right? When when God made man alive, he he did what? He breathed into his nostrils and gave him life. So it, it's it's this idea that through the scripture, God can be, it's, it's not just a historical book. It's not just an academic book. It's not just a book of, of laws and codes. And it, it's, it's a book that God can breathe into your life by the Spirit of God. And that, that he, will com- he can communicate with you and penetrate those areas that nothing else could penetrate that no other words maybe could penetrate, no other person could get to, your heart, your soul, your mind, because its source is of God himself. So then next, our our verses in 2 Timothy tell us that one of the fundamental purposes of Scripture is that it's meant for the equipping of God's people for every good work. So its source is of God, what what its fundamental purpose is. Psalm 119 tells us that God's word is our guide for daily living. How, how, can I, how can a young man keep his way pure, right? Well, you got to obey God's word. This Psalm 119, I know it's really long to read, but it's just holding up God's word and how important it is. It, it's, it's, it gives us strength. It gives us instruction. It gives us understanding. It gives us renewal. It gives us joy. The, the writer of the psalm says, it pre- preserves my life as a lamp to my feet and a light to our path, my path. So the Bible, we could say, has to be the charter for us as a Christian community. It's the most reliable source of revelation God has given us about himself and his plan of salvation. There's other ways that God has shown himself. There's other ways that God can speak. But this is the most reliable source and the one we always have to weigh all other things against. Romans 10, 14 and 17 asks, how then can they call on one they have not believed in? How can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? Consequently, faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So the scripture, through the scripture, we hear God's revelation of who he is and how he wants to rescue and engage us in relationship. Along with this, Paul tells us that when coupled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible is God's tool of refinement in our lives, right? Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. John Stott says, Scripture is the chief means which God employs to to bring the man of God to maturity. How often have you found you need God's correction through the word? <laughs> this week, this week, I was, at the end of the week, I just felt my attitude deteriorating. You ever go there? You're just like, huh, the way I'm responding to people, the way I'm, you know, the, the words that are coming out of my mouth, and I needed God's word to set my attitude right. right? So how often do we need, in every aspect of our lives, God's word to be the tool of refinement in our lives? This means it has to have authority in our lives. And as authority, 
not because it's just a marvel in and of itself, but because its source is God, that it's God-breathed. It certainly te- God's word certainly teaches us to obey earthly authorities, right? Look at Romans chapter 13. But it's also very clear that God's word has a higher authority than all other earthly authorities, right? So we, we think about all the documents and the laws of the land, and God says you should obey them. But when they conflict with what God says, God's word supersedes it. It doesn't matter the document. It doesn't matter the law. It doesn't matter how sacred to a culture or country a certain document might be. When it conflicts what God says, God's word has authority. Right? You see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see that with Daniel. You see, when Paul, I mean, when Peter had to face that decision between the two, he says, we must obey God rather than men. It has authority. Also, when people we hear that supposedly speak for God or teach, like I'm teaching this morning, or proclaim God's word, or someone says, uh, I, I, I feel like the Spirit is leading me to say, or you feel the Spirit is leading, this, leading me to this or to think this or to discern this, that may very well be. But we always have to do what? Weigh it against God's word. It's our reliable source. And if you feel like the Spirit is leading you to something that counters God's word, you have to then say, the Spirit would never do what's contrary to the word. The Spirit is always in harmony with the word of God. So as we, as we wrap up here, and we begin to wrap up, allow me to point out what we're told in Acts 2.42. We've considered what the scripture is not. We've considered what the scripture is, that it is the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God is the source. We've considered that it's the tool of refinement in our lives. It's the revelation of who God is, his plan of salvation, what he's doing throughout history, how he's calling a people unto himself, how things will end. And then that everyday tool of refinement sharper than any, any double-edged sword. In Acts 2.42, it speaks of the early church, just as they were kind of starting to work things out together. And it, sa- it says that the apostles' teaching, the apostles' teaching, which doubtlessly would have included the scriptures as they knew it, but under the light of Jesus as Messiah, doubtlessly would have include, included who Jesus was and his teaching, what we now have in the Gospels, doubtlessly would have included the application of those things, what we now have as the letters written to the churches, right, through the epistles. The apostles' teaching, along with the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer, were what the early church devoted themselves to. There's just a few things there. And that could be a teaching for a whole other day, but it says that the early church devoted themselves to those things. What, what do you think that means? What did that look like? What does it mean to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching? You're committed? Good. Yeah, kind of all in.
Yeah. Yeah, these weren't some things that were kind of chump change in their lives, extra stuff. It was like, we're devoted to this. We're devoted to working these things out together. It took, it took some time. Good. Anything else? All right, you think on it, ponder it. Continued steadfastly, good. So you get that idea of moving in it continually. They trusted it, I'm sure, as God's word. They acted upon it, act upon, acted upon it and obeyed it. They were devoted to it. They were all in. It wasn't something like, eh, eh. I got a Bible sitting on my shelf. <laughs> you know how treasured the word of God is in some restricted areas in the world? Do you know how much people, some people in the world would love to have free access to the word of God? They devoted themselves. Are we a church that devotes ourselves to God's word? When we're together, is it regularly being read? Is it regularly being taught? Is it regularly being proclaimed and received? Are we corporately and privately feasting on a regular diet of God's word? Who influences us, who influences us more? Is it, is it my entertainment, my social media, my, my favorite politician, my favorite news channel? <laughs> Whatever it may be, what influences me more? Is it any of those things, or is it God's word? Is it a chore, or is it a joy? Knowing that as I enter into it, even when times feel dry, I can trust that God is meeting me there, that God wants to speak with me there. Are we sloppy or haphazard in our approach, or are we faithful, thoughtful, prayerful? Are we trying to force it to say what we want it to say? Are we trusting what it actually says? I just want to wrap up with a few more practical questions. And, and maybe you can, if you're a note taker, you just write down a few key words uh, or key phrases. Uh, a few practical questions as we think about entering into God's word privately, together. Um, first, am I rushing? Am I rushing? Is, is it something that it's, again, a duty, a chore? I just need to get through it. Or, or, am, I, or am I slowing down? Am I willing to carve out some other things to devote my time to it? Am I entering in with prayer and a listening ear and meditation? Am I rushing? Um, am I balancing private and together study? So together, like we're studying God's word together this morning. So part of that is that you're devoted to the fellowship <laughs> of sharing life and, and worshiping and studying God's word together. Is that also happening in your private life? Are you devoted to God's word? Is it, is it me and God and us and God? A balance of both. Both are essential. Um, am, I, am I simply studying for head knowledge? Or am I studying to hear God? Um, I just think that's a really important question. Am I entering in just as like, okay, give me more information so I can know more about the Bible and seem maybe smart in certain, certain circles, 
Or am I really entering in as a child of God, as a disciple of God, as a missionary to my family and to my community and to my school? Am I entering in to listen? Am I taking time to understand the context? Right? So if you go in to do any reading or training in Bible school or whatever, they'll always say context, context. What is going on in the timing and the culture and the audience, the theme, the genre? What you're reading in poetry might be different than what you're reading in a historical account. What you're reading in narrative might be different than what you're reading in an epistle. What's going on in the context? Am I taking time to understand the main idea? What is the author saying? What is it teaching me about God? So am I rushing? Is it private and together? Is God speaking to me? What is the context? What is the main idea? And then how do I apply it? Am I thinking about, how does this work out in my own life? How does the principle that's going on here work out in my own life? Maybe it's not a direct correlation culturally, but what's going on, what's going on underneath that, that God would be speaking to me? How's it training me for what's to come? Where do I need to be corrected? My attitude, my perspective, my behavior. How do I apply it? And the last, the last question I had and is just, am I confused? <laughs> am I confused? And that's okay if you are. There's times, plenty of times I still enter into God's word and I'm like, what? Am I confused? But then what do I do with my confusion? Do I go further? Do I weigh scripture with scripture? Do I weigh what I'm confused with with what I know to be true? Do I dig deeper? Maybe there's something I've missed here. Am I willing to ask for help? <laughs> Am I willing to enter into that togetherness? Hey, what, have you learned anything about this? What, you know, let's read this together. If we're to be a healthy Christian community, we must value being a scripturally-based community, engaging, trusting, acting upon the Bible as the inspired word of God, our perfect God guide for faith and practice, and through it, to meet with God there and allow him to speak to us. May we say with the psalmist in Psalm 119.16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word.